When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to Affected by Altitude, a Colorado Rockies podcast for and by Rockies fans on Rocky Mountain Rooftop. Thank you for joining us as we discuss all things baseball and Colorado Rockies. Hello and welcome to Affected by Altitude, the Colorado Rockies podcast on Rocky Mountain Rooftop, the proud affiliate of Fans First Sports Network. I'm your host this week, Evan Lang, and with me as always is Skylar Timmons. Uh, I gotta put the water under my eyes, Evan. <laughs> and what is that hat before we get started? Uh, it's an old school Montgomery Biscuits hat. I like it. Me too. What I don't like is the news that happened just before we started recording. We were planning to record it around this time, and about an hour beforehand, we get the news. Shohei Otani is signing with the Los Angeles Dodgers on a 10-year, $700 million contract. Boo! Boo, Dodgers! Boo! There's a lot of interesting stuff about the contract. Um, there's apparently a lot of deferrals in order to help the Dodgers stay under the competitive balance tax and give them the ability to sign more talent around Shohei, which goes to show what an unselfish player Shohei Otani is. Um, but come on, do the Dodgers really need any favors in that department? <laughs> Uh, no, because it seems like they just have an endless supply of money and resources to do whatever the heck they want in Major League Baseball. Yep. They can sign whoever they want. They can develop whoever they want. It really doesn't matter. And that's partly testament to them because the Dodgers have built themselves into an organization that can do that, a desirable location. But it still doesn't change the fact that they're a bunch of bums, bumheads, because they just it makes the fun less or makes the sport less fun because it's just disappointing. Yeah. And there's, there's a lot of stuff that goes along with this as well. Um, Oh, my cat just knocked over a whole bunch of stuff. Um, Really, really with this. That's uh, this is some great content right here. 
what were we talking about? We were talking about Shohei Otani and the ramifications of this deal. Uh, first of all, the Dodgers get better when they already have some of the best players in baseball on their team. Uh, Freddie Freeman, Mookie Betts. Um, they definitely have more pieces that they need. They need pitching, definitely. They could use some help in the outfield now that they've moved Mookie Betts uh, permanently to second base is what they've announced. But they have the money and they have the resources to do it. And it really is just, it's the rich get richer while the you know rest of us really struggle for scraps at the bottom. And you look at what the Rockies have done so far this offseason and you compare it with the Dodgers doing this and having even more room to continue. And it's just, it's disheartening when the Rockies were not good against the Dodgers last year. We were what three and 10 against the Dodgers. The and, Rockies haven't been good against the Dodgers for like the past 10 years. And now we get another, you know, 13, 14 games against the Dodgers next year. But with the added trade off of, they have one of the best baseball players on the planet on their team. Uh, and I'm willing to bet you that uh, Dick Monfort's going to see some dollar signs in his eyes to raise those prices on up because Dodger fans and fans in general are going to want to come and see the greatest Shohei on earth. Especially at Coors Field where he's going to be able to hit. And you know, it, Coors Field generally cheaper than a lot of other ballparks, a lot more, I guess, somewhat cost-effective. But... Yeah, it's this has a lot more ramifications beyond just him signing with the Dodgers. Did they need did the Dodgers really need him? No, because they're regularly a good team. And but this helps give them even more. They're adding on top of that talent. You know, they add another bona fide slugger into their lineup when he's healthy and able to pitch. They get another, you know, basically ace in their rotation, MVP winner. So it has a lot more ramifications of it makes them better. The rich get richer type of thing. And then it more publicity and marketing for them. And also, you know, some of these other teams can enjoy that influx of revenue when he goes to Arizona, goes regularly to San Diego, San Francisco, like all those California teams are going to rake it in. And then the Rockies, who regularly already get sold out with Dodgers fans. He comes to Coors Field for the first time in 2024 in around mid-June, end of June. So right in the middle of the summer, prime baseball time in Colorado during the summer. No brainer. <laughs> Those prices are maybe rise up, but there's going to be a lot of Dodger blue. Even more than there already is. Yeah, that's going to be a sellout crowd. I'm willing to bet the revenue from merchandise sales alone of Shohei Otani Dodgers jerseys and shirts is going to make both the Dodgers and the league a lot of money. Um, and it, it's it's crazy to me just how much money it is. So this is the biggest contract in the history of American professional sports. It is almost a billion dollars there were a couple a couple things that were pointed out um for various things is the one this contract at 10 years 700 million dollars is more money than the oakland athletics soon to be vegas athletics have spent on their payroll over the last 10 years 
that it is the net worth of Colorado Rockies owner Dick Monfort. And that it is the equivalent, Albert Breer, who does uh, does football news, said it's the equivalent to paying your quarterback $102 million a year based on uh, comparable contracts. And you really, it, it's only somewhat comparable. You can really only compare it a little bit because there's nobody like Shohei Otani in any sport. Like I was trying to explain someone uh, to someone who's not a baseball fan. It's like, this is like if you had a Hall of Fame quarterback and he's also a Hall of Fame edge rusher. Or like he's both the leader in receiving yards as a wide out and then leads the league in interceptions as a corner or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the the Rockies, this is, I mean, it's already a non-competitive division basically for the Rockies. And this isn't going to change much, though. I, I I really don't know what to say other other than the fact that the this division is going to continue to be non-competitive, mm-hmm. and it's and it's the same in any professional sport, but especially in baseball, where when you have a, an owner or ownership group that's willing to spend as much money as humanly possible to bring in these kinds of players, they're naturally going to have an advantage. And we've spoken before that like the payroll for the Rockies is generally not an issue for the most part where they're middle of the pack in terms of payroll, but Dick Monfort's never going to spend $700 million on a player. Mm -hmm. Instead, 26 million on a guy who can barely stay on the field, but it's, it's just frustrating in all aspects. And, you know, folks may wonder, well, why would this even matter to Rockies fans? You were getting beat by the Dodgers anyway. Why would anybody be sad that he's going to the Dodgers? And from my perspective, it's that thing of when you're constantly getting beat down by somebody, you know, in the division, the Rockies just aren't competitive. We had our chance in 2018, which was fun. That was a lot of fun when you had people chanting like BLA from other teams. San Francisco's chanting it. San Diego was chanting it. No, to rally around this great empire, no, this dominant power over this division. And then they keep getting stronger, keep getting better, keep adding talent, and just seemingly, no, they're unstoppable. They're, you're in the same division. You see them 13 times a year. The Dodgers have a, still have an impact on the Rockies chances of getting to the postseason their hopes when you're going three and ten when you're only winning three games no at most during the season that has ramifications on the rest of your postseason prospects because that's who you see most often rockies aren't competing in the division okay well you can aim for a wild card but your chances that wild card still depend on what you can do against in division now, if you could play 500 against the Dodgers, hey, not too shabby. I'll take that. But you're getting beat down. And so it makes it, I guess, more disheartening when you realize we can't compete. Sure, the Dodgers are in a league of their own. We're not in the, we're in the same division. We're all playing Major League Baseball. What the Dodgers do impacts what the Rockies do. Well, and also even outside of the the potential ramifications of trying to get a wild card spot. Oh, the Dodgers already beat you a lot. So what's the difference? 
do you think that means we're okay with getting beat by them yeah. more? Exactly. Like, does that just make it better? Like, like it's it'd be instead nice instead of instead of going three and ten, we go zero oh and thirteen. Yeah, it's a difference of three games, but that's supposed to make you feel better because it it doesn't. Yeah, and, and Shohei is a great player and one of the greatest of all time. And the I think the thing that a lot of baseball fans want is no me and Joe. I'd love to see more competitiveness across baseball in general. You know. Instead of it's just the same teams getting these players over and over again. Juan Soto goes to the Yankees. Oh, well, I saw that coming. Uh, the Yoshin, Yoshinobu Yamamoto. Oh, he's probably going to sign with the Yankees. He's probably going to sign with the Dodgers. It's just, oh, as fans, we're just sick and tired of getting beat up on. So I was, I felt sick as soon as I saw the Shohei Otani news. I'm like, man, this, this sucks. Because I love Shohei Otani. But why did it have to be the Dodgers? Because the beauty of sports, we all have our alliances. Like, we're <laughs> born and bred. I hate the Dodgers. Yeah. I hate them as a fan. Like, as like an organization, you, you can admire them. But as a fan, like, I just loathe that it's always them. Yeah. Like, if he had gone to a different team, if he had gone to the Blue Jays, like, was heavily rumored, no, no problem. As an outsider looking in, I can enjoy that. But I can't enjoy Shohei Otani on my least favorite team with my least favorite fan base beating the crap out of my favorite team every yeah. season for yeah. 10 years. Yeah. And and you, it even compounds, you look at the rest of what the division is doing. The Arizona Diamondbacks went to the World Series last year, this last season, and then they're building on that and trying to make moves. They bring in Eduardo Rodriguez to their starting rotation. There's probably more moves they're going to make, hopefully. You see the Padres. Who knows what the Padres are doing, but they're still trying to stay heavily involved in things as they shuffle their roster. Giants are actively looking for people. And then the Dodgers add the best player in the world right now. And then you look at the Rockies, which we'll get into later in the show about what they're doing and kind of how they're operating. It's just like part of that, just jealousy and FOMO. I'm like, man, we could be doing that stuff, but we never will. And it sucks because we want that, but we'll never get it. Yeah. And a lot of people are going to be like, oh, you're just jealous. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Of course we are. We're sitting here going, why can't that be us? I know. Like I thought about this after the Juan Soto trade. Uh, over to the Yankees, I'm like, man, I would just love for the Rockies to like have a move like that, to be the ones who give up prospects and stuff sometimes to bring in a superstar generational talent like that. No, I would love to be part of that because especially if it had been Juan Soto, but like bring in a big established star. Instead, we always have to settle for, well, this guy signed a minor league contract. Oh, this guy's. 32 years old, had a good year last year. Let's see what we can squeeze out of him. Now, I'm tired of that bargain bin, scraping the bottom of the barrel type of stuff. I'm like, I want to win, to quote uh, Nacho Libre. Like, it's it's just frustrating. Yeah. And like, good for Shohei, but it's just frustrating as a Rockies fan. Personally speaking, like, yeah, we're, we write, we try to report, be media type people but we're also fans at heart and 
it, that's what we just wish watching him go over the why, man why 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 does it have to be them because we're already stop stop we're already dead <laughs> no they're gonna keep coming in with the people's elbow off the top rope as we're laying lifeless on the floor like they're Check gonna, my medical bracelet yeah <laughs> but they're gonna keep non so what the Dodgers do and their dominance over the Rockies, especially and like in baseball in general, because you don't like to see your no in division opponents continue to dominate even beyond you dominate the rest of the league, constantly doing everything like until there's realignment and stuff like Rockies fans should care what the Dodgers are doing. And, and you don't have to necessarily be upset, but be annoyed at least about what they're doing and that it's always them doing everything. Get off my soapbox. <laughs> no, you can tell I, that I, you can tell I've done some podcasts with Paul from Locked On Rockies. <laughs> he brings the passion. So, oh man, we should have tried to get Paul into here and oh just yeah, witness the uh, <laughs> witness the reaction firsthand. He could feel thirty minutes just ranting for us, probably. And and you can't blame him. That's it's that's the thing is that like does this affect every other team in the NL West? You betcha. But I feel like as Rockies fans right now, this hurts us the most because the hope isn't there right now. Like you said, the the Diamondbacks were just in the World Series, and they're going to keep building off of that. Uh, The Giants are working on on retooling. They just hired Bob Melvin as their new manager, uh, and they have aspirations. The Padres are going to try and stay in it, but they're dealing with some money stuff right now. And, you know, they had to trade... Juan Soto, but they're still going to go for it. And then the Rockies mm-hmm. down there, down there in the bottom, the third worst record in 2023. <laughs> it, it's one of those things too. We're like, yeah, it's going to be cool to see Otani in big games, get to the postseason, have his moments in the, in the limelight. You know, the Dodgers get much more publicity and he's going to be in the midst of that. It does He doesn't have to be the one to carry the team. It's like, we couldn't be happier for Shohei. Yeah, he's going to get to play in those big games. He's getting paid, all that stuff. And yeah, it probably doesn't change the landscape of the National League West, but it still impacts it, where it, again, it hurts those hopes. I don't want to settle for a third wild card spot. I want to compete for a division title. But him getting out, it just makes those hopes that much no more difficult to obtain. Yeah. The vindictive part of me is going, well, I'm looking forward to another hundred plus win Dodger season where they get bounced in the first or second mm-hmm. round. Which I, I, Kershaw for that. I admit is petty of me, <laughs> but sometimes that's all we've got. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's okay to be upset. If you're a fan you know, of the Rockies or whatever team, it's okay to be upset. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, it's understandable. If you want to be happy for him and be or neutral about it, perfectly fine. But uh, everybody has their, their cup of tea. But man, we're so, I'm, I'm a salty one about it. Just disappointed. Yes, I am. <laughs> I am extremely salty about it right now. And it's tough because I'm trying to think of the right way to <laughs> right way to put this here is that someone on 
I saw someone on Twitter put it this way, is that this either means that I have to like Shohei Otani less or the Dodgers more, and I don't want either of that. Yeah, that's what I'm like, man, I hate baseball now where I'm in a position where I have to you know, kind of actively root against Shohei Otani. Because while he's with the Angels, like there's no reason to root against him. It's the Angels. <laughs> but him you know, being added to the Dodgers, you're like, it's same with Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman. Oh, some of the guys on there, you're like, I want to like those guys, yeah. but I want to root for them because they're good players. But then, but they're also the Dodgers. And I'm like, I don't want to root yeah. for the Dodgers at all. I will never, I will never root for the Dodgers. It's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to have to root against Shohei, but I sure as heck can't root for him at this point. And that's the cool thing. The thing I love, you love about sports is, you know, <laughs> A lot of times, sports fans, it's not, I'm not fans of like individual players. Like, oh, I don't care if he's wearing that jersey. Like, there's still guys like that. Like DJ LeMay, who with the Yankees, I, I love, we love DJ. But there's part of us that still don't like him because he's with the Yankees. No, our allegiance is to who we, who's, who they wear on their chest. No, I'm a fan of the Rockies. No, whoever's on that team, uh, aside with, some small uh, exceptions. Oh, the race. The big asterisk. Yeah, some big asterisks on there. Guys are like, why are this? Why is this dude on this team? Because he's damaging the brand. That's why. But it, it's no. I root against the name that they have on their chest. And yeah, there are some very dislikable players on the Dodgers, but they have three really likable ones. If they weren't wearing a Dodgers uniform, I'd be all in on them. Yeah. And Ugh. it's and it's a bummer too because I've, you know, I've already said it, I really do not enjoy going to uh Rockies Dodgers games. Yeah. It's it's not a fun experience for me just based on the history of what I've experienced during those games. Yeah. And now that those ticket prices are probably going to get jacked up, it's like this also diminishes my opportunity to see one of the greatest baseball players ever. Yeah. play in live in person. Yeah. So it's ugh. it's really annoying. If yep. I think part of it too is if some fan bases weren't kind of uh, insufferable, it'd be a little easier to like root like like man, like the Dodgers are so good and like I want I I don't like them, but it's not like active hate and spite towards them, but the fans don't really do them any favors. You no, know, I have some active hate and spite towards the Dodgers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no i mean we'll we'll continue probably to expand expound upon this over the rest of the off season but for now we just are going to leave it at what it is how many Shohei otani is a dodger how many home runs does he hit at course field a lot let's see here they play about seven games seven home games run. at course field next year yeah if he hits a home run in each of them yeah i'll say about seven he hits one in each one that he plays. You heard it here, folks. Shohei Otani is going to hit seven home runs at Coors Field in 2024. <laughs> and have like a, uh, we'll give him like a 330. I'll give him a 333 average. We'll get him out a third of the time. <laughs> I mean, hey, plenty of players. Two thirds of the time. We'll get him. Would kill for that. Yeah, we'll give him two thirds of the time. Hey. He was the one that we got out during the Angels blowout game against us. So that's true. He was like the one who didn't have a 
Maybe we don't. Runs. Maybe we don't have as much to worry about, Evan. We know the secret to get Shohei Otani out. <laughs> yeah, the secret is to let the rest of the team put up twenty five on you, and then he yeah. doesn't have to try. But to he start. can't beat us. He won't beat us. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> We're gonna take a uh, a quick break, and when we get back, it's time to um, talk a little bit more about the Rockies instead of the Dodgers. So don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Welcome back to Affected by Altitude with Evan and Skyler. And Skyler, the winter meetings just happened um, this last week out in Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, I'm wondering what your thoughts were on the press conferences that were hosted by both uh, manager Bud Black and general manager Bill Schmidt. So uh, we've grown accustomed to the Rockies never really saying much during the offseason. Like we'll get the occasional like maybe Bud Black note on MLB Network Radio or something. Since there was no real fan letter, there was no end-of-season press conference debrief, anything. But you know, So we knew, looking forward to the winter meetings, that we'd hear from Bill Schmidt, and then uh, we'd hear from Bud Black. We'll probably hear from Dick Monford at that breakfast in Greeley in January. <laughs> Uh, the f- friends of friends of the meat industry brunch or something. Yeah, friend of the friend of the show Patrick Lyons said he's looking forward to that. So, <laughs> but it was it, it's nice to hear from them, and you know Bill Schmidt and Bud Black. You no, know, a lot of it was well Bill Schmidt specifically. Start with him. His was a lot more focused on you no know, building a foundation for the Rockies, which you no, know, I think we've both been in agreement where Bill Schmidt. Is is doing good things. He's doing better with things when he can do it his way. No, and I think he has some sway if he can do some things a little bit more his way. And his focus still is, I'm going to draft and develop and lay a foundation for young guys. Like he's all in, I think, on young younger guys. And so that was what his focus was on. Of hey, we have a young core, we have young guys coming up. We acquired a ton of pitchers. Hopefully, some of those can hit which, yeah, like that's really all you can do. So that's kind of what was his was, but it's still a lot of just empty words, so to speak, of no real like, oh, we're looking to try and do this. Now, we, yep. we see, we've got some indications from, you know, talking to other reporters and stuff where he's saying that they're just looking to, you know, add an experienced backup catcher that can bring some offense and improve the bench for Bud Black so to speak, but, and always looking for more pitch pitchers. Maybe we'll look, well, we'll look for some trades or waivers or whatever, but nothing, nothing really significant coming from Bill Schmidt, which I guess was kind of expected. Yeah. And especially, you know, it's early on. I think we were all kind of hoping that they would do a little more in the winter meetings, like maybe a trade or maybe a free or at least rumors of something, but there really wasn't anything that the Rockies were involved in. You know, we were never even a factor for the Shohei Otani sweepstakes. Like, let's be, let's be real about that. And then, you know, we're not really linked to anyone else. We're not linked to any of the other big names floating around a free agency right here. It's not expected that we're going to make any other major trades or anything like that. Though, of course, who knows? Um, I, I There was... The thing that still bugs me, and we've talked about it on this show before, you no, know, where they just keep conceding defeat of 
well, well, free agent pitchers, we're never going to be their top choice. Why not? Like, make yourself the top choice. Figure out a way to do it. I don't care if you have to pay a little extra for some premium talent. It's the year 2023, 24. You signed Mike Hampton in the pre-Humidor era at Coors Field. Yeah, like, do it it smart, obviously. Like, we don't want another fiasco like the Super Pen or, like, Denny Nagel or whatever. But... I mean, I think most fans accept that there's going to be a little bit of a tax to pitching at Coors Field in terms of having to pay a premium price, but you could make it like the, oh, we're never going to be the the destination. It's like, so make it the destination. Mm-hmm. Do something. And that's, that's what's been so frustrating about this offseason is that we haven't really done anything. Mm-hmm. Like, so what have we done? We traded for Cal Quantrill uh, from Decent Cleveland. Move. Decent move. Solid move. I I, I honestly like the move. It Not has perfect, upside. but okay. Um, we picked up Jalen Jalen Beeks on waivers. Meh. It's fine. Uh we'll talk about a little bit more, but we did the rule five stuff. And that's it. Eh. <laughs> yeah, and then minor league signings like yeah. scattered throughout. Um we we signed uh Matt Cook, who was part of the bullpen last year to a minor league deal with an invite to spring training. That's a totally fine move, perfectly cromulent. I really liked how Matt Cook uh pitched with us last year. I think it was a um he was a really ended up being a really important part of that bullpen, especially as everyone was getting um totally gassed there. Mm-hmm. But it's one of those things where it's like you sort of feel like the Rockies have done pretty much everything they're going to do at this point. And then you get the the comments from Bill Schmidt and from Bud Black, and it doesn't really give you a whole lot of hope on there. And, and the stuff that more would bother me more than Bill Schmidt was, was some of Bud Black's comments. Yeah. And, and that was kind of the bothersome thing for me. And real quick, I wanted to say one last thing. Uh, remember last year, how fun it was to be connected like, to Cody Bellinger and like Brandon Nimmo and like those kind of rumors. Yeah. Like it's nice to just be included in rumors at something like, I'm just happy to be included. Yeah. And <laughs> we're not, we're not included on anything this year. Yeah. So it's like even, even last year though, the rumors of like the Rockies wanting to package uh, Brendan Rogers to Miami in exchange for pitching. Mm-hmm. It's, it's one of those, one of those things where, it's just nice to be involved in those rumors and you know, we get some small drips from Thomas Harding and like Patrick Saunders, some of those guys, but really nothing of material. And now that leads into some of the stuff with, uh, with Bud Black's comments that you mentioned. Yeah. And, and Bud Black's are probably the most frustrating out of all of them because it really does give kind of a disconnect between the team's actual needs. So like he's going on saying like, we need to add a veteran outfielder and we need to add more veterans, a veteran bench bat. And like, I'm down for a veteran bench bat, but we, we don't need more outfielders. We already have such a glut. We don't need more corner infielders or first baseman when there's already huge concerns about the playing time and investment in guys like Alaris Montero, Michael Tolia, Hunter Goodman, uh, especially when it was confirmed by Bill Schmidt during the winter meetings that Chris Bryant is going to be the primary first baseman next year, and they might occasionally run him out to right field on occasion. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, no. let's be clear, they shouldn't do. No. <laughs> like, Chris Bryant 
if you're going to make him the first baseman, just have him be the first baseman. He does not need to be in right field. You have right field, be Chuck, and whoever you want to rotate out there and just KB's got to be DH in first base. Yeah, I think that that was kind of the biggest thing to come out of Bud Black's little press conference, sat and watched is his approach to, no, very simple question. Okay, how do you view, based on paraphrasing here, uh, whatever the question was, but they used to ask him, like, how do you see, you know, Chris Bryant moving to first base? How do you see that, you know, impact, you know, the DH or the playing time with some of those younger guys like Michael Tolia, Lars Montero, Hunter Goodman, those kinds of guys. And instead of like a simple question, a simple answer he could have given, like, yeah, Chris is going to be the first baseman. We're going to figure out, you know, how we can get those other guys involved. And then just cut it off there. But instead he, you know, he goes on to explain that he, Views right field, first base, and the DH spot all interconnected and basically listed out a six-man platoon of rotating guys in and out of there of Chris Bryant, Charlie Blackman, Montero, Tolia, Bouchard, and Hunter Goodman, where you have six players for three spots. Uh, I don't think that math works out very well, Evan, especially for sustained success of your young guys getting regular playing time and also your veterans who are going to be in there most every day. It leads to the frustrations that we've already had, which is that one, the lineup changes every single game, basically, um, which has always been a frustration with, with Bud Black's managerial style is that there's no like set lineup. It's going to be something different pretty much every day to the point where our friends over at Blake street banner, were basically tracking individual lineups and there were so many different ones last year and then it's the same thing of at least the concern of what we're always talking about which is bud favoring his veterans over the development of younger players where we talked about this you know for the 2023 season is that basically he had his hand forced into playing brenton doyle and nolan jones and then they were able to earn their spots but for right field the idea of a six-man rotation between right field, first base, and DH is not something a serious ball club would do. Yeah, this isn't little league or like high school. No, even in high school, you have a regular out there. <laughs> like for me in high school, when I wasn't pitching, I was playing right field usually, or I'd fill, I'd slot in where whoever was pitching, I'd play their position pretty much. But is. It's fresh because I still don't know who's playing right field regularly next season because you figure Chris Bryant at first base, Charlie Blackman is the DH where Chuck can occasionally play right field, but he's got, he's my DH leadoff man, DH. I don't know who I regularly trust to be in there every single day in right field. I mean, the crazy thing is that there's a really obvious answer for that. Mm -hmm. It's Sean Bouchard or Michael Tolia. Mm-hmm. Th- that's it. It's you pick one of those guys out yeah. of spring training and you put them in right field. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, if you legitimately don't like one of those guys, or if you don't think they're going to be able to play and be a regular contributor, then you get rid of them. You trade them, you trade them to a team where they can be, or they're going to be it's the same with like Elaris Montero. This dude just cannot buy playing time. It seems like every single offseason something happens to take away his playing time. Mm-hmm. And if we're really, if the organization has that little, has that little faith in him, has that little regard for wanting to play him regularly, 
trade him. He was good enough last season that you could get something back in return. Yeah, or package him with somebody else, like a little package to bring in another starting pitcher. Yeah. So to speak, like you package him with, say, like a Peter Lambert or even or, or something like that. No, we'll mind trade and you can bring in a big league starter. Like not too shabby or package him in and have Brendan Rogers headline it or something. You know, there's things you could do and it, it's things yeah. stop compounding your problems and they're not doing much. They did good last year, trimming off some fat. Okay, Garrett Hampson, you're gone. Connor Joe, Sam Hilliard. Like we're gonna just trim some of that fat and bring in guys, make room. But then it just bubbles back up again. Yeah, with with the weird fixation on needing to have veterans. So it's like, I do agree that we probably want to bring in like a veteran bench bat or something, like one guy. Yeah, one. Maybe like we were talking about this a little bit before the show. You know who I wouldn't mind bringing back, honestly, is a guy who understood what the role was and seemed to really enjoy being here. It was Mike Moustakis, mm-hmm. where yeah. he was a really good clubhouse presence. He understood the role of he is the bench bat. He's going to come off the bench or is he, he's going to fill in and was a good mentor to the other guys in the clubhouse. Mm-hmm. But then we end up with these other situations where we've got jerks and profar starting for way too long in left field. We've got Harold Castro taking starts away from other guys. We don't need that again this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's I think what because they mentioned some things that they wanted, like a backup a veteran backup catcher, which yeah, they, they want somebody that can provide a little bit more offense. Austin wins good defensive, but black hole with the bat. <laughs> Just nothing. So need somebody that can help Elias Diaz out there and give their young catcher some time. Like Drew Romo gets time to grow in AAA. Perfect. That's what we need. We need some veteran guy that can just eat up some innings, eat up a couple starts during the week. Perfectly fine. Same with like a, an extra veteran outfielder. If you need like a Sean Bouchard is perfect. To me, Sean Bouchard's the perfect bench option that we have where he can play in the outfield, but he's not too bad coming off the bench. Mm-hmm. Can sock and, a dinger. And we've seen from good. Bouchard that one, he can come off the bench and hit. He did a lot of pinch hitting uh, over the last two seasons. And two, that in the limited playing time we've used him for, he can get on base and he can make a difference. Yeah. So you either keep him as your bench option, or like I said earlier, you put him in right field and see, okay, we know he's good in limited sample sizes. Now we've got to get a full season out of him because he's not getting any younger. He's what, 26, 27? And it's the same with Michael Tolia is you either like what you have in Tolia or you don't. Yeah. Just run him out there for a whole season or at least even just two months, April and May, give him full reins. You're playing every day in right field and just see what happens instead of you know, a lot of that sparse playing time scattered for these young guys. Cause I, I feel like it was, was it Bill Schmidt or one of those guys, either, either of them mentioned, how they really don't want, don't feel like the bench is good to have, you know, just young players come and just sit on the bench. And that doesn't help their development. So that's why we'd see guys get sent down to like, with the comment, like, oh, so this will give them regular playing time. And so, like, I understand that sentiment. That's good. You don't want a good prospect, just, or a, even a younger prospect, just kind of sitting there on the bench and doing nothing and like maybe play occasionally through the week. Like, yeah, you don't want that. You want them in the lineup every day so they're getting those reps and room to grow. 
And so that's why you don't want a bunch of lineup shuffling and all that stuff. You want to set lineup and a six man platoon for those three positions just isn't going to cut it. Yeah. Like you got to trade away some guys then. It's for, the needs. for me, it's you've got to make a decision on Tolia and on Montero. Yeah. If you don't think that they're going to contribute this year, then you trade them. End of end of discussion. Like there's nothing past that. Just yeah. do it. Because first base and right field are fairly set. Like you don't if you just pick a guy, you don't need to do this rotating plotation, rotating platoon of guys. Like that is it's nonsense to me. It's not something you would see any serious ball club do. Like, could you imagine the Dodgers rolling out, the, coming out and saying, oh, we're going to run a six-man rotation between right field and first base and DH? Mm-hmm. Never. You'd never see them do it. And so we see the Rockies say that they're thinking about it. You go, what are you doing? Well, at altitude, we, we got to figure out how to manage their health. And keeping guys fresh, like that's part of it. But do you really need that many players to fill those positions? Like, and like, if it's about keeping guys fresh, we rolled out Elias Diaz at catcher so much last year. One hundred he what forty some odd games. Yeah, we had guys who played a ton of games last year. I'm going to pull up the list, and we're just going to look at like who played the most games on this team. Ezekiel Tovar. If you're if you're so worried about playing keeping guys fresh. Why did Ezekiel Tovar play 153 games and Ryan McMahon played 152? Elias Diaz, 141. Brenton Doyle, 126. And this one will steam you. Jerks and Profar, 111. Mm-hmm. I have a guy who put up negative 1.4 war. You put him out there for 111 games. Yeah. And you're going to do this rotation instead. It just, it makes, it drives me crazy because. The, the solution is so obvious here. Chris Bryant, first base. When he's not playing first base, he's DHing. Sean mm-hmm. uh, Charlie Blackman, DH. When he's not playing DH, he's in right field. And then just pick a third guy. Sean Bouchard, who can play first base as well. Put him at first if Chris Bryant is DHing and Chuck is in right. Put him in right if Chris Bryant is at first and Chuck is DH. It's not that hard. Yeah, and then you have no on the bench. You throw in one of the veteran guys if one of those guys needs a day off. Yeah, no, it's you need less options. Like six players competing for essentially. Moose, Moose, you want to start at first today because you know Chris and Sean they're both getting the day off. Yeah. Okay. Now it's limiting those options, and and that's the problem we have with the Rockies. They hoard guys. They hoard players. And then until it's too late to like get anything for them, they don't want to give up their precious, precious prospects. So it's it's kind of frustrating in that aspect. Yeah. So it's it's they Bud Black just there's just that disconnect. It feels like where Bill Schmidt saying and we're laying foundation. We got a lot of young guys. We're like what we're going for, and then trying to build here. And then Bud Black, well, we need some veterans on this team more. We don't want. We'll make sure it's a place for guys to to develop. We're not looking for specific types of pitchers. We're looking for talent. Yeah, I was going to bring. I will, was going to bring that up because um, talent will play at Coors Field, which I believe in. It, it shouldn't matter. Like good pitchers will 
be successful at Coors Field. But then there's disconnect where you look at the types of pitchers the Rockies go after. Oh, another sinker baller. Woo. Or they get a pitcher who's not in that mold and try and force them into that mold. Exactly. Like we talked before about Noah Davis, who I don't know what his future is with this club, where he wants to hit, he can make his bread and butter as a breaking pitch guy. And they just force him to throw that fastball and sinker again and again and again. Like there's, there's that disconnect. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't know. It's weird. It is <laughs> frustrating and, team. And you know, the off season is still young. Yeah. There's we still more can, they can do. We can see if the rock. I hope the Rockies do more stuff. I hope they start making a little bit more sense. Let but, Bill cook or something, but we're going to take another quick break. And when we get back, we'll uh, round things out with the gem of the winter meetings, the rule five draft. So stick around and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Affected by Altitude for our last segment here with Evan and Skyler. Skyler, let's talk about the Rule 5 draft because we had we had the protections a couple weeks ago where the Rockies added uh, Adele, Adele Amador, Yankee Fernandez, and uh, Angel Chavilli and Juan Mejia to the 40-man roster. Um, filled up the 40-man roster as their Rule 5 protections. And then very suddenly, um, early on Wednesday, the day of the Rule 5 draft, the Rockies released Connor Siebold, clearing a spot on the 40-man roster and showing that their intention was to participate in the Rule 5 draft, Mm -hmm. one of 10 teams that made a selection in the Major League phase. Yeah, and and real quick on Connor Siebold, it was just... You can check out the Ranking the Rockies article over at Purple Row. He was one of the early ones that we wrote uh, this offseason. I think I wrote that one, too. Uh, but did. But it, uh, it was just tough sailing. He had some good moments, and he hit a stretch in, like, middle of summer where he was good in the rotation. And then the Atlanta Braves series broke his brain in Atlanta. I think he gave up, like, four home runs in three innings. Or it was, like, an inning and two-thirds gave up four home runs. Just something stupid like that. And then it just derailed the rest of his season. Didn't fare well down in AAA Albuquerque. Didn't fare well in the big league club. He kind of was a pseudo long reliever, starting rotation option. And he, it's funny, like he was one of the guys they mentioned of what pitch when Bud Black was listing off pitchers for the rotation, starting pitchers for the rotation. Connor Siebel was one of them. <laughs> either later that day or the next day. Oh, nope, never mind. He's not on the team anymore. So they released him and uh, uh, maybe he could come back on a minor league deal or something. But but the, that Rule 5 draft, I think, was there was potential. You figured they were going to take a starting pitcher or a pitcher of some kind in the major league phase, and that's exactly what they did. Yep, they selected uh, right-handed pitcher, 21-year-old right-handed pitcher, uh, from the Tampa Bay Rays organization, a triple-A pitcher by the name of Anthony Molina. Um, you know, I don't hate the pick overall. I think it's a... Um, it's a it's a nice gamble. I think it's an... It, I think it's a really interesting pick. He's got a lot of development to do here still. So he's already made it to triple-A, um, and he's only 21 years old. And now he is, due to the roster restrictions of the Rule 5 draft, he will be on the Rockies opening day roster. But his fastball needs some work. It's got decent velocity, but it's it's not a not a great pitch. 
mm-hmm. um, his his plus pitch is a changeup with some good bite to it, and then he really doesn't have a lot else to offer. He's got somewhat of a slider that's that's pretty inconsistent, but he's really the two pitch guy, fastball changeup. Mm-hmm. His, his big plus is that he can pound the strike zone. He is going to put the ball in the strike zone. He's got good demand with a nice repeatable delivery. Um, and they want him to potentially be a starter down the road. Um, they, they meant the Rockies mentioned that their intention is to start him sort of in long relief as they develop him and have the hope of him being a contributor to the rotation later on down the stretch. And that's a, that's a fine gamble. Um, you know, it, it's the rule five draft. They made a pick. He's got potential. Uh, I believe he he immediately slots in as number 22 in the Rockies prospect rankings over at MLB Pipeline. But then there were just some really strange comments from the organization afterwards. Um, with context, they look a little bit less bad, but it was coming out that Rockies director of scouting, Sterling Monfort, compared him to Herman Marquez. Uh, and about how similar they were, said something along the lines of, well, Molina's actually, you know, further along in his development than Herman was when we got him um, because he was up in AAA versus, you know, Herman wasn't when we obtained him. And, the you know, they had similar numbers or something like that. But they're two very, very different pitchers Mm -hmm. and while it is true that Molina sort of barely outpaced Ermon in terms of overall minor league development time it wasn't by a lot and Ermon is was a far more uh, developed pitcher at this point in his career than Molina is and and Molina I think has potential I I really do but you know Ermon at this point had his fastball uh, getting up there in velocity, and it was a, a really good, solid pitch. Plus his his curveball, his plus curveball, and then he's been developing other breaking pitches. You know, his changeup was already pretty that pretty good at that point as well. But mm-hmm. Molina right now really only has the two pitches. Yeah, his slider shape is really inconsistent with uh, release point and with with overall shape of the pitch. Uh, I like this comparison. Um, it was originally brought up by Mario over at Purple Row, but I definitely agree with it. Is I think he's a lot more like Antonio Sensatella mm-hmm. in terms of where he is in his development, where Senzi has a solid, had when he made his debut, a solid velocity fastball, but it's not going to knock your socks off. And then like he had a, he had a, the potential to be a, a mid to back end of rotation starter. And we've seen Senzi Taylor develop, get more of those breaking pitches and Senzi not being a high strikeout guy, which um, is also the case with Molina, but being able to keep that ball in the zone, limit walks, limit damage. That is really how I see Molina as well. And I think this, this really can be a solid pickup. I like the pick. I just wish that the organization hadn't drawn undue attention to itself saying something like, well, we think he's a lot like Erman because he's not. Uh-huh. And and you get some better context when you look at the more, the, the full quotes um, from that. So uh, Sterling, the, the full quote is that the Rays have always been very highly regarded with pitching and getting the right arms. It's something to definitely look at because of their track history. 
then he says that uh, Rocky Scout Jack Gillis kind of compared this guy to Armon at the same age. Molina was actually two levels higher than when we traded for Marquez. The numbers were about the same as Marquez, not a huge strikeout guy, but he got to us and developed the off speed and kept working on his fastball. Not saying that they're going to be the same guy, but we're hoping. That mm-hmm. makes a little bit more sense. But I think the way that a lot of those quotes got out there made it look a lot more baffling than it actually was. It's not a great comparison either way. Yeah. The big comparison is that he's a raised pitcher with high upside that can do with more development and has a limited injury history. Mm-hmm. That's the comparison. But the other thing they're saying of the numbers being the same, that doesn't really make any sense because they're not. And then bringing in, well, he's actually higher in the minors than Herman was. That really doesn't matter. Yeah. It, he's going to be a case of if he sticks because the run him out in spring training, if it doesn't look like it's going to work out or somebody better, then they may just cut him loose and send him back to the raise type of thing. But, uh, it's going to be one of those cases of can the Rockies develop a pitcher on the fly at the big league level? And I think that's an important question the team has to show that they can do is that development doesn't stop once they leave AAA. Mm-hmm. Like they have to prove they can develop and help a guy at the major league level because how do you bring in some free agents showing that you can help them get better? You know, <laughs> You can't rely on, you have to show you can do it at the big league level. Exactly. Like, remember how the the Dodgers, how they attracted a lot of reclamation projects was word of mouth of, I went to the Dodgers and they helped me get better. They yeah. can do that for you. And we yeah. know the Rockies are capable of developing a pitcher because we've seen them do it. They did it with Antonio Senza Taylor. Remember, Senza made his debut without ever playing in AAA. And throwing nothing but a fastball, basically. And, and pretty much throwing only a fastball. And compare that to where he is at now. And so you know that the Rockies can do it, but it's just that they've done it so few and far between with all of their other pitchers that you can't really yeah. have that faith. And they need to still do it better because Senzatella still has a lot of problems and things that haven't been addressed. But so they can do some stuff, but they need to show that, okay, we can take a young guy like Molina and can help him improve along his major league path and be a contributor. Mm-hmm. We saw it with Jordan Sheffield that one year. You know, a Rule 5 pick in the bullpen had a phenomenal year with him. Tailed off after that, but he had that one good year. They're going to have to show that they can do that with Anthony with Molina as well. Yeah, and If we can yeah. bring this guy in and he can contribute and we can help him grow. Now, understanding that, yeah, he's probably not going to be a perfect pitcher, it's gonna, that's why you bring him in as a long reliever. He can maybe get some of those mop-up innings type of thing, but develop at the big league level. And then once they feel confident in that, then he can get a spot start here and there. Yeah, exactly. And you look at Molina. He is 21. He's 21 yeah. years old. 21? Th- that is oodles of potential. And And like I said, he immediately slots into the number 22 spot. Uh, in our MLB pipeline rankings. There's, there is something there. And I do think like, I can agree with the scouting from the Rockies and going, now there's a guy 
that we could maybe do something with, but then you have to actually do something with him. And you're in a good spot with the fact that he is so young. Yeah. Like you're not getting a guy who's 26 or 27. You are getting a guy who is 21 years old and you can mold that. You can work with that. A nice fresh piece of clay. Mm -hmm. That fits perfectly into the Rockies pitching mold of sinker heavy guy type of that can throw a sinker and stuff. So it's worth a gamble. Oh, especially in 2024. What do you have to lose with having him out there? If he pans out or if he looks like he'll pan out. Perfect. That's great. If not, well, we tried. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, and the same goes for a lot of those guys. They took in the minor league phase. Oh, there's a couple other guys that are interesting. Uh, the guy they picked up from the Mets, hard throwing reliever, high strikeout number guy reliever. Mm-hmm. That would so, be uh, Brendan Hardy. Yeah. Uh, he played for Double uh, A Binghamton last year with the Mets. Um, heavy, heavy strikeout guy. The mechanical comparisons I really like to to two really good pitchers, one of whom has a history with the Rockies and success at Coors Field. Uh, his mechanical comparisons are Adam Ottavino and Freddie Peralta. Like that's go. a that's a nice I think pickup that's going to be really underrated. And then the other um, other guy we picked up is. Um, What's his name? Thomas Ponticelli from the Cleveland organization. Uh, the Rockies dipping back into that Cleveland well again. Yep. Um, Ponticelli is, he's 26. He's not going to be a, a world beater or anything like that. But I like this pickup namely because he's proven at multiple levels of minor league play that he can be a solid innings eating pitcher, which sometimes that's what you need. So yeah. overall, like, I think this was a really solid rule five draft for the Rockies. The bummer is that we did lose about five, um, five minor league pitchers throughout the organization. So the guys we lost are uh, Phineas Delbonta Smith, uh, Nelvis Ochoa, Gabriel Barbosa, Nick Garcia, and Alan Perdomo. And for most of those guys, you're probably going who? And, that works exactly. out <laughs> exactly. Really, the top guy on that list for for losing out on is I am bummed to see Finn Delbonta Smith go. Um, he's had some really good work turned in in the Rockies farm system, and really had his first not so great year last year with his first full year with Double A Hartford. Um, but it's a bummer to see him go. The other guys are, are a smattering of of younger guys. Uh, I think Kenneth Weber was was somewhat high on Gabriel Barbosa, but uh, Nelvis Ochoa is a Dominican Summer League guy. Uh, Alan Perdomo hadn't made it above the Arizona Complex League. And then the one that does sting a little bit was we lost double-A um, reliever Nick Garcia, um, who is from the Connor Joe trade. So he's who we got from Pittsburgh when we traded them Connor Joe. Uh, and that just stings because, you know, losing Connor Joe, and then that one really didn't pan out. But overall... Even though the quantity-wise, it, it, it looks bad to say, oh, well, we lost five pitchers in the Rule 5 draft. Quality-wise, I don't think the Rockies are missing out on that much by losing these guys. Yeah, and I, I hope that they can do awesome with their new teams. But Yeah, not going to lose much sleep over it, I'm, I'm sure, <laughs> in the front office um, and everything. But yeah, and overall, not too shabby with the Rule 5 draft. I think, yeah. Not too shabby. Uh, speaking of drafts, real quick, Evan, uh, the draft lottery. 
Oh, the draft lottery. It's so, rigged. Uh, well, it's rigged. Going, going into the lottery, we had equal odds with the Athletics and the Royals for getting the number one overall pick. Is that correct? Yeah, and, and I'm sure one of those three teams got the number one pick, right? You know, it's funny you should mention that. Uh, the number one pick went to the Cleveland Guardians. What? <laughs> who at the very least had a losing record because the number two pick went to the Cincinnati Reds who won 82 games last year. Yeah. Ugh. So stupid. <laughs> I think that was everybody watching it when you see, oh, the Royals fell to like sixth. Oh, well, now the Rockies have much better chances. What that Oakland A's at number four? All right, this number one pick is ours, baby. Number three, the Colorado Rockies are like, oh, son of a gun. Exactly the same spot that we would have drafted in in the old system. In the old system. We, we wanted the, one thing and we couldn't. The athletics, get though. They got hosed because yeah. now I what is the new rule is that now they can't pick in the top 10 next year. Yeah. And they did not get the number one overall pick. Good. They don't deserve it. I oh, I absolutely agree. Obvious tanking team should not be rewarded with the number one pick. But, but it, it is it was just kind of frustrating. And I think they still need to iron some things out with the draft lottery. Because there's no reason the Cincinnati Guardians or the Cincinnati Guardians have just combined them with the Cleveland Guardians or the Reds. Ohio really only needs one team. Yeah, Ohio in general. <laughs> like they didn't, neither of them needed the number one pick. Like it's nice to get one, but those are already like fairly good teams with decent systems. Did they really need another number, need a top of the line draft pick? No, so the draft lottery, we've already seen it. It can hurt teams that um, teams like the A's. Yeah, they obviously tanking, but the Rockies, a genuinely bad team, like a number one pick could have made a huge difference in helping them, you know, change that. And look what it did for the Orioles. Yeah, they did tank, but they've made the most of it. Where now they're competing, competing. Mm-hmm. But it it can hurt teams that are genuinely just bad. Yeah. And like rebuilding. It, it really hurts the Royals, I think. The Royals yeah. falling all the way to six is really pretty painful for them. Yeah. So the, it, it, I don't as, know how you adjust it, but it needs adjustment somehow. Yeah. Uh, we, luckily, at the very least, this doesn't hurt the Rockies because, yeah. like we said, this is where we exactly where we put would have picked in the old system as well. Mm-hmm. But it, it never makes any sense to me when. A, a team that's not that bad gets the number one overall pick. Cleveland won 76 games last year. Yeah. They're not that bad. Yeah. They don't really get the same benefit from drafting first overall that another team would. And it, how how long was the Reds in first place in their division? You no know, top of competing for a lot of the year, and they get the number two with a winning record. <laughs> Yeah, that was surprising. The Reds were a lot of fun last year. And then the Reds are going out and like doing stuff. Like yeah. they're making free agent signings. Why can't so, why can't we do that? So I don't know how you adjust it, whether no that the lottery just needs to be just for that number one pick or those top three. Or I don't know what, but no, making it the first nine top six picks. Uh there, there's um, how do they do yeah. it in the other leagues? Like the same kind of thing, but like I know they kind of do it basically the similar same way, but they're adjusting things, aren't they? Or there's a way that more or less than 
it just picks in the same order after that number one pick and then just kind of progresses normally how it would have been something like that i'm not as familiar with the other systems that do draft lotteries i do believe that the mlb is the the only one that has that um the system in place that's supposed to discourage tanking where if you pick very high multiple years in a row you uh, then have to have a year where you cannot pick in the top 10 yeah Uh, i don't believe other leagues do that but i'm not super familiar with and i'm a fan of the other sports i'm just not super familiar with the drafting processes for the nba and um i I just don't like the idea of this just random like company they have come in with all these i was reading an article where technically the washington nationals won the number one pick but because they had picked in the top like the past two years or ever, or because they're a paying team and they had their uh, revenue payee, payor, whichever one it is, they they share revenue, they pay into that. And since they already had a top pick last year from the lottery, they couldn't have one this year. So they lost, they dropped down out of the top 10, but they technically won. But that whole reading that whole system of how it works and like the numbers pop up, the sequence of numbers that pop up off the ping pong balls, and that's how they decide. Like that doesn't make any sense. I didn't understand it. Really confusing. Why not just have a big, <laughs> again, like we've talked about, have the big bingo roller thing with all the the names on the on the balls, and then they just come up and pick one out. Oh, here's the number one pick. Hey, it's the Rockies. Woo! Give Clint Hurdle a reason to be there. <laughs> You should make all the owners do a home run derby. Ooh. Though I don't think there's a single owner that'd be able to hit a. They'll play on Wii. Hit a, I don't think there's a single owner that would be able to actually hit like a majority owner because you know there are some players who have have minority stakes in their team. The Royals will send Patrick Mahomes out there. Yeah, because I was going to say then they'll send like or the Giants will send Buster Posey. Yeah, but I don't think there's a single majority owner out there that would be able to hit a major league pitch. Yeah, but it's it's just frustrating. It's just the, the system, the numbers rigged against us. Yeah, it was not a it was not a it super was a rain, fun but... winter meetings for Rockies fans. Like, hey, and we then got throw in the Shohei Otani news today. Ugh. Why are we here just to suffer? <sighs> <laughs> no, but. I hopefully they figure something out like yeah just because generally like not many people like it didn't hurt a lot of people but it's still not a perfect system and I think it could use some adjustments oh definitely like at least we're still picking where we didn't lose any ground yes it's nice to gain some ground but at least we didn't lose any you can be happy but we about can't that. but we can't look at a system and go well it didn't hurt us so it's good to keep around yeah there's definitely some tinkering that needs to be especially, done. And, especially when like we had top odds like oh 19 like almost 19 percent chance to get that number one pick yeah wait what's that a team with two percent chance took it yeah the fact that there were three teams with equal odds to get the number one pick and none of them got it and none of them got the second overall pick either yeah. Like it really is the Royals. The Royals got hurt the most out of all of this. Mm-hmm. And there's a team that could really use a number one or number two pick overall to bolster their farm system. Yeah. Ugh. But hey, well, they've got Garrett Hampson now. So uh, good for them. He'll get plenty of bench time. But that's going to about do it here. Uh, 
for us today on that on that note uh here on affected by altitude uh skylar where can the folks find you at you can find me over on twitter at sideline underscore crowd always writing those wednesday rock piles for purple row and writing all kinds of articles over at fans for sports network.com usually monday through friday i'll write articles doing a lot of hall of fame writing yeah you've been cranking those out one a day hopefully uh and also be sure to go check out the most recent episode of every rocky ever available on your favorite podcasting platform. We talked about the pitchers that the Rockies have acquired that are from Asia. Fun stuff. So, Chen Wei Sao, Byung Hong Kim, Masato Yoshi. Sun Woo Kim. I for, I always forget about Sun Woo Kim because uh, he's not here for very long. Uh, he was there for two seasons. That's not very long. A season and a half, actually. <laughs> uh, Sun, or not Sun Woo Kim. Uh, what's Max Suzuki was there for three games. There's now there's a guy that's put that on your list of, of trivia. Um, three Masato games, Yoshi, one start. Fun fact. Uh, Masato Yoshi is now the manager of the, uh, Chiba Lotta Marines, mm-hmm. the team, uh, in which is another team that Roki Sasaki plays for. I don't even know who that is. Uh, also known as the Monster of Rewa, he threw a perfect game in 2022, uh, and he was one of the gems of the World Basic uh, World Baseball Classic last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the bottom line is, is that none of those pitchers were particularly good in a Rockies uniform. I liked Masato Yoshi as a kid, but he wasn't good. <laughs> no, no, he was not. <laughs> Uh, you can find me over on the tweeters and at Evan underscore Lang 27. Um, same for threads and then blue sky at Evan Lang 27.bsky.social. Catch me on Thursdays, right in those Thursday rock piles. We're wrapping up every Rocky, uh, not every Rocky ever. That's Skyler's job. We're wrapping up our rank in the Rockies, uh, profiles. I did, uh, Justin Lawrence and Charlie Blackman last week. Those are the last two for me for this year. Thanks so much for being a part of that. Um, and yeah, that's that's about it. You can follow us here at Every Rocky Ever on YouTube and Twitter at Rocky Mountain Rooftop. I keep saying Every Rocky Ever. Subliminal. You're putting it into people's minds. You can follow us for Rocky Mountain Rooftop on YouTube and Twitter at the same place. That's at Rocky Mountain Rooftop at R-O-C-K-Y-M-T-N Rooftop. You can tell that I've missed a couple recording sessions over the last month or two because I have been rusty today, folks. Mm -hmm. But thank you so much for joining in. Uh, We appreciate you listening as always. Uh, Feel free to leave a comment or leave a rating uh, on your podcasting platform of choice. And remember that the Rockies are bad, but we'll, <laughs> we'll get through it together with the power of friendship. And never, at least we didn't make false reports about the whereabouts of Shohei Otani. That's true. He's on a plane. Props to us. We did it, everybody. Mission accomplished. We couldn't top the $700 million contract offer for him to be our third co-host. Except he would have talked exclusively in Japanese and we wouldn't know what he was saying. You see, I offered him $7. <laughs> and he slid the paper back and he just politely shook his head no. He's just, oh, so and he fed the piece of paper to his dog. 
And everyone's like, what's the name of his dog? And it's probably, I'm willing to bet you his dog is probably named something extremely mundane, like Taro or Maru or one of the other extremely common Japanese dog names. It's just named, <laughs> hello, this is Reggie. I mean, they're acting, they're like, hello, my name is Shohei Otani, and this is my dog, the Los Angeles Dodgers. Come here, boy. <laughs> it's probably named like Scully or like Vince Scully or something. Or uh, Nomo. Like Ota- Nomo. It's Otani Jr. That'd be funny. <laughs> Come here, Otani Jr. He just calls his dog Otani-san. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And it's like, Otani-san, come here for a second. And then both him and his dog wander up to you. Mm-hmm. But that's going to do it for us. Skylar, how about you hit him with it? And we're going to go cry about the uh, this contract. Farewell. <laughs> <laughs> Masato Yoshi is my favorite Mario baseball character. Mm-hmm. Masato. Russell. Russell.